Welcome to 2020. Today I'm talking to a professional therapist about relationships and PA school and handling all of that. It's a good one. Welcome to the Pre-PA Club Podcast. If you want to learn how to become a physician assistant, you're in the right place. I'm your host, Savannah Perry. Let's get to it. It's a new year, everyone. Thank you so much for joining me. I am Savannah Perry. I'm the host of the Pre-PA Club podcast. I am a dermatology PA as well as a pre-PA coach through the PA platform. And I am very, very excited about this year. If you are on our email list, you probably got kind of an update email sent out last week. If you're not on the list, make sure you get on it because we are going to have some really cool stuff this year. And the first best place to find out is on the email list because those people get dibs. So, um, one thing we talked about there or in the email is that as of today, we can officially announce that there will be a Southeastern pre-PA conference this year in Atlanta, Georgia on March 28th. So mark your calendars. It is going to be awesome, but we have very limited spots. So if you listen to the podcast for a while, Um, We are doing this in conjunction with My PA Resource, which is a personal editing website specifically for PA school. And you can use the code FUTUREPA for any services from them. And now is the time to kind of get started on your personal statement if you're planning on applying or reapplying this cycle. But we are very excited about the conference. There will be more to come and more details on that. But registration will be available on this upcoming Sunday. So if you're listening to this on January 3rd, which is the day it comes out, it will be available to register on January 5th. And we'll be sending emails about that. We'll also be posting it in the pre-PA club. But like I said, this first one, we've only got about 100 spots because where we're hosting, the school we're hosting with, that's all that they're able to accommodate. So um, we are very excited about it. It should be a great conference. And if you have any questions about that, please reach out to me directly or um, just email myself or my PA resource. All right. Um, Before we jump into today's actual interview, I also want to mention PA School Prep, which is a sponsor of the podcast. And PA School Prep is a great option of an online course if you are about to start school or have been accepted to PA school and kind of looking for something to make sure you keep your head in the game, keep kind of up to date on your anatomy, physiology, med terms. That's where PA School Prep comes in. And you can also use that future PA code on that online course for a discount. The same way you can use it on any of the PA platform services. And this year, you know, if there's something that we can do better, that we can do for you, please reach out to me directly. I love um, reading reviews and hearing your feedback there, but if you have something that you would like for us to do differently or better or anything, just shoot me an email at info at thepaplatform.com or on Instagram, of course. All right, so today I actually got to do this interview in person with Ashley, who is a licensed therapist. She is awesome and so nice, and I felt like I was in a little mini therapy session, 
Um, but it was a lot of a lot of fun getting to chat. So I thought this would be a great way to start the year off just with something a little bit different because we hear from a lot of PAs and PA students, which we're going to continue doing. But I think it can be easy to lose yourself during PA school and lose sight of relationships and all kinds of stuff. So we were able to chat about some ways to kind of refocus and um, make sure that those things stay your priority even if you are going through kind of the stress of schooling. So we'll get into our interview with Ashley and all of the links she talks about are in the description but you can also find her on Instagram at therapy by Ashley. All right meet Ashley. I am Ashley Kwame and I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist here in the state of Georgia. Um, my focus is on treating couples um, and parenting as well. Um, so couples ranging just from premarital all the way through uh, discernment counseling, which is more for staying, discerning, should we stay together? Should okay. we not stay together? So it's kind important. of the whole range, like the whole gamut. Okay, so how long have you been doing that? I've been practicing clinically for about 10 years, coming up on 10 years, which is a big like professional milestone, you know? Um, a little scary. Uh, practicing for about 10 years now in private practice for the last five of those years. Okay. So can you give us a little background on just how you got to that profession and kind of what the steps look like to get there? Yeah, yeah. I've always been interested in relationships, um, you know, starting in high school, just how they work, why some people get together with other people, what makes certain relationships work, what makes certain relationships not work. Um, psychology seemed to be a really good fit for that going into college. Um, and pretty early on in my college curriculum, I took a marriage and family systems sociology course and was introduced to Dr. John Gottman. I don't know if you've heard of him. He is a relationship guru and researcher, and I could geek out over like all of his research <laughs> forever, but I'm not going to. Um, anyway, I read a few of his books and just got turned on to his research and came out of that class, and I was like, I'm going to be a marriage and family therapist. And I guess I felt pretty um, blessed in a lot of ways to be able to just kind of know like definitively, like this is what I want to do. I want to do marriage and family therapy. I want to treat couples, and that's that's just it. Um, so the steps to get there, then obviously having a college um, college degree, I went on after that and obtained my master's in marriage and family therapy um, from Valdosta State University. Uh, and then post grad school, there is a uh, licensure process um, that can take you know about three years. Um, so yeah, there's a national licensing exam that we have to take and pass. Um, and then you have to accumulate so many, um, hours of direct clinical experience post-grad school. Okay. So it took me post-grad school eh, about three years to do that. We, um, my husband Clayton was in the military at the time and stationed in Korea. So after grad school, I moved to Korea and had to figure out like, how am I going to get my hours? Like, how am I going to get this like, clinical experience? And got really lucky in landing a job at an alcohol treatment center. Oh, interesting. There, yeah. Okay. So I was able to work with soldiers and their families, which was amazing, very rewarding. Interesting. Yeah. Okay, can you define for us or kind of compare and contrast, I guess, like therapist versus 
psychologist versus psychiatrist? Yes. Great question. I get that um, quite a bit. So I'll start with psychiatrist. A psychiatrist has a medical degree. They are an MD. Um, So they've gone through like residency and all of that. They are the ones that prescribe medication. Okay. They can also do therapy, psychotherapy, but the primary reason why most people go to see them is usually for medication purposes for mental health. Okay. Um, And then you have your psychologists. Uh, They have a PhD. Um, So they've gone on to get their doctorate, um, but their PhD or PsyD, um, they've done a lot of research. They tend to do, uh, you know, some testing. You'll see them in like the um, psychological testing kind of realm and assessments. Um, They also do therapy uh, as well. Um, But they kind of, you'll see them kind of in both. If they're not doing testing, they're going to be doing therapy then. Okay. Um, and then you have your therapists and we are master's level clinicians. Okay. Um, and we just do, I shouldn't say just do therapy. We do therapy. <laughs> yeah. That's the hard stuff, right? I'm not yeah. going to minimize or downplay my field. We do therapy and it's okay. hard, it, it's hard, but we don't do, um, medication, you know, management and prescribing. Gotcha. Okay. That's helpful. Um, okay. So went to school, got your master's. I actually really love psychology too so I took a bunch of psych classes and I think they're so interesting what exactly does kind of your schedule look like a day just in your job look like in the office in the office so I see roughly 16 clients a week I schedule 16 clients a week which may not sound like a lot but those sessions are an hour long um 50 minutes to an hour it is a lot yep uh, so personally, I see clients Tuesday through Friday. Mondays I reserve as my administrative day, my running errands or doctor's appointments um, kind of thing. Uh, but I come in and, I mean, I get going pretty quickly. Um, I allow about 30 minutes in between sessions um, to do paperwork, return phone calls, billing. I'm a, I tell people that I'm a one-woman show. Um, so I do, I am the administrative assistant, I am the accountant, I am the billings person, I am the therapist, I am everything. Um, sometimes my, I joke that sometimes my um, assistant uh, is not going to get her raise. Um, <laughs> but that's you. <laughs> but that's me, right. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so my day from 9 to, I leave about 2.30 is go, 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 go. Um, between seeing seeing clients, um, being on the computer, responding to emails, stuff like that. And I leave the office at 2.30, 3 o'clock, and then I get to be mom for the rest of the day. <laughs> yeah, me too. Um, do you have what you would say is like a typical client, or do you see just a lot of different types of people? No, I probably at this point in time have developed more of a typical client. Early on in my, um, early on in my career, I was seeing anybody just whoever I could get to like come in. <laughs> I was like, yes, I will see you. Um, I learned that that's probably not the best way of doing it, but I think that that's a mistake that like every like newbie kind of makes because um, we're desperate at that point. Uh, we just want to save lives. Mm-hmm. Um, at this point in time though, I, I do see uh, about 50% of my caseload is couples. Um, and then I see a lot of adult women um, either uh, new moms, uh, moms with young kids, or moms who have kids that have launched. So 
actually kind of, I don't, I don't quite know how that's come about, but I see a lot of moms who have also had kids that are adults now or have launched or really, really young. No, like teenagers. I don't have a lot of, yeah, I know. I guess they'll turn into those. I'm sure eventually. Um, <laughs> so a lot of our listeners are, well, we have a few different stages. So we have a lot of people who are like in undergrad, going straight into grad school, may or may not be in relationships. And then we also have, you know, people who are maybe going to, wanting to go to PA school as a second career and are either in relationships, whether they're married or not married, or um, have kids. What, and I guess just thinking back on my PA school experience, I saw, we'll see, let me think. I was engaged at the beginning of PA school, got married in the middle of PA school, um, still married, all good, but I saw some people start relationships and some people end them too. And that's something that I think anyone in PA school will see is that there are going to be relationships that hit some rocky, rocky roads. And I don't think that's necessarily what anyone wants. But for someone in that type of environment, an intense, like rigorous schooling that's very time intensive, very stressful, I guess what advice do you have for them that they could practically do or consider to try to kind of maybe some of that discernment about Mm -hmm. where they're at, but also like helping those relationships. Sorry, that was a loaded question. No, no. I think that's a great question because I also remember in my graduate program, it was intense. Um, And I don't want to say thankfully, but Clayton was in Korea at that time. And in some ways that really worked to our advantage because I would get up and be gone from like seven, seven thirty, and get home at like nine or 10 o'clock at night. So there wasn't like a, there wasn't a lot of physical time there. So a lot of my, my suggestions to like young professionals um, or younger couples, and this would go the same for even those folks that are making it a second career in, in established um, stable relationships is that, um, I, I mean, I guess for, <laughs> I'm trying to frame this in like a really, um, <laughs> I don't know, great way of asking how to say it. You have to talk. Like, I was going to try to make that sound really fancy yeah. and like, great, but you just have to talk. Um, so many times, like, we get into like the mundane, like, you know, how was your day? Good. Great. Like, awesome. Okay. What's for dinner? Hey, can you clean this? Can you pick up that? Like, that, I mean... Over time, like, that's not going to feel so great. Like, people lose that connection, you know? So you have to talk in the sense of you have to ask questions. Um, For busy professionals like that, um, you know, I'm just thinking, like, you're going to have to be really proactive, like, with your relationship. You know, it doesn't take a lot of time to send a text message. It doesn't take a lot of time to send a quick text to say, hey, just thinking about you, love you. Um, John Gottman, (laughs) Uh, I told you I'm like a, like one of those like groupies. Um, but he talks about, he has a great quote and I love it. Um, but he says, uh, small moments done often. Um, and I love that because it really hits at just, you know, how small really moments can build up and add up over, over time. Um, so if you are putting in positive uh, even in small ways, small positive things into your relationship over time, it's going to sustain those periods or those gaps where it is a little bit harder. You can think of it like a bank account. If you're making more deposits into it, then it's going to carry you through rough times. So for those busy professionals, like send messages like to your partner, let them know you're thinking about them. You know, another thing I would say is that, um, 
expressing like gratitude and appreciation. Like, you have to say thank you. I know we get into this place in our marriage where it's like, our partner did that, eh, okay. Like <laughs> it, it comes across as almost like you take it for granted, you know? Mm-hmm. I hear a lot of women say like, I just feel like I'm taken for granted. I do all of these things mm-hmm. and I never hear a thank you, right? Thank you can go a long way. It's two of like the simplest but most meaningful words that you can give. So tell your partner that you appreciate them. If you're gone all day at clinicals or in class or what have you, and your partner is carrying a physical like load at home, you should be telling them thank you a lot. No, <laughs> hey, thanks for picking up dinner. Hey, I appreciate you doing that. Hey, it means a lot to me. I know I'm busy. I know I'm gone a lot. It means a lot that you can pick up this like load while I'm out. Say, can you say that um, small moments quote again? Yeah, small like moments that. done often. Okay, I like that small a lot. things done often. And maybe this makes me a pessimist, but I think like the way you explained it was so great, but I think it could go the other way too. It does. And how yes. sometimes the negative things and yep. maybe those times we don't say thank you and we feel take for granted, like those add up. Yep, they as do. Small, and then that's maybe where we get And into then you these. land in my office, yeah. which is great for me. Like, I love it. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. But that's not the goal. Right? Or if you're like me at home, you like erupt in this emotional mess. And, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, no, that's really great. And I think like... One thing that I've told people just, and I was in a a different situation because my fiance husband was in med school at the time. So we were both in school. That's tough. We were both busy, but we understood where each other was at. Whereas I think sometimes the struggle comes when one person is in school and the other person is the one sitting at home, maybe not really understanding why do you have to study all the time? Why do you have to be gone? Why can't you help more? Right. And that, um, is what maybe can lead to some of those And I also, I do this with military couples, um, and Clayton and I did this as well, but, you know, we would always say, like, okay, this is a two-year commitment. Yeah. You know, we can do this for two years, and if we are both, you know, just keeping that in mind, then it doesn't, makes it a little bit easier. Yeah, there's an end point. There's an end point, exactly. Was it finish line? Right. There's (laughs) a finish line, like, there. And so we would talk about, you know, how, okay, we only have to do this really hard thing, which is being separated the first two years of your marriage and me in grad school. (laughs) Yeah. We only have to do this for two years. And, you know, we would celebrate, like, milestones. Like, okay, we made it to the first six months. Like, you know. Yeah. And we didn't really physically celebrate because we weren't together. But, yeah. you know, like verbally, like we would talk yeah. about it. Um, so I think, too, like, you know, for those couples, like talk about like where you are. Hey, we've made it six months. Hey, we only have to do this for another year. Isn't that so great? Yeah. Have a countdown. Well, and if you are in the same place, like you can make time. I know like in school you don't have a lot of time or money, but you can make time for those actual celebrations. Yep. Like. Even if it doesn't feel like you have a lot of time, like you can grab a meal, you can and that's, actually do something. Like it's and you can. I I always struggled with feeling like I couldn't take time away from studying to yeah. go eat or whatever, but like that was silly and it wouldn't have changed anything in the grand scheme of things. It doesn't. And I not in my schooling, but maybe in my relationships. I've heard that you know, too, and that we don't have time. I don't have time. I don't have time. I'm doing this. I can't take a break and. There's a lot of research, and this is more from like a work standpoint, mm-hmm. but you're going to be way more productive if you take breaks 
and do things that are going to fill you up. So you can take a break from studying. Yeah. Like that, you can physically (laughs) do that. It is healthy. Your brain probably needs the gap, needs the break to go and like, you know, it's just like working out. You need rest days, right? Right. So your brain needs that too. Um, And to your point, like your relationship is going to be with you hopefully through the long haul. Yeah. You know, that's usually the goal when we get married. Yeah. Right. Yeah. We don't usually get married to, (laughs) uh, to divorce later. That's usually not the hope. Um, so, you know, prioritizing your relationship, you know, take those breaks, um, spend time together, or at least if you can't, then at least do a lot of like verbal affirmations. So on the flip side, let's say that someone is in school or new job, whatever. And that relationship is, struggling yeah um and they are maybe in that discernment phase is this something I want to continue is it not what actual steps could they take or would you recommend to maybe having those hard conversations or figuring those things out yeah I know that's a hard it is a hard, hard thing to talk about but I think it's also it is hard but it's also a reality too mm-hmm. you know um and you know, I would say don't make impulsive, emotional-based decisions. When I have couples that come in and they're like, I just feel like I can't do this anymore. Like, I just don't want to do this anymore. You know, I encourage them, like, take a few weeks. Don't make any impulsive, like, permanent decisions. You know, sit with it a while. Because sometimes those emotions come and go. And I don't know about for you, but even myself, something that I want to do or a decision you know, if I sit on it for a little while, well, sometimes it can change. Sometimes yeah. I'm like, well, okay, I didn't feel like that intense <laughs> yeah. about it. Sometimes it doesn't. And if it doesn't, then, you know, you know that it's probably the right decision. If you've been sitting with that decision of should I end my relationship for a while and it's not coming up every time you get into a fight, you know, it's coming up like driving to class or driving to clinicals or work and you're like, I'm really just not happy. Like this isn't the relationship I want. Then it probably isn't the right one for you. For those couples that want to work it out but feel like there's a lot of just disconnection, um, I know time is valuable and I get a lot of young professionals that are like, Ashley, we would love to come in and see you but we don't have the time or your hours don't jive with our schedules. Um, so if you can't go to therapy, which would be my, my suggestion, (laughs) um, if you can't go to therapy, there are wonderful like resources online now. Um, the Gottman Institute, um, has a lot of, uh, educational, just tips, suggestions, do this, don't do this, um, things that both partners can kind of do together. Uh, they have an app. It's called, I think it's called Love Maps. Um, it's like a deck of cards. I have the actual physical deck of cards, but <laughs> the Gottmans have turned it into now like an app where you can go through and just ask questions to try and rebuild that connection. Um, there's also another great uh, place, Marriage 365, that does like online courses. Um, I, I, it sounds like courses or like workshops or um, some online coaching. They are like huge on Instagram. You can go there at marriage365, but they've got tons of just resources for you. I'm trying to 
send your listeners to places yeah, I'll tag, that I'll are list all of reputable that. and yeah. not just like, you know, <laughs> yeah. somebody, just saying, somebody just saying stuff. Yeah. Right. Um, those are just two, those would be two really great places. If your clients are going to, or your listeners, sorry, <laughs> um, if they're going to be looking at any kind of therapy, I would look at finding somebody that specializes in emotionally focused therapy okay. and or uh, Gottman uh, style okay. therapy. Those would be two. And usually... Um, clinicians will market themselves as such. Um, but the those would be two just really great forms of couples therapy that there's a lot of research um, in backing that model for working. Okay. So I've heard before that everyone should be in counseling. Is that something you agree with? I, I mean, <laughs> I mean, probably at this do, point, <laughs> at this point in time, like, yeah, um, or at least try it out. I, you know, some people, there's a lot of stigma around yeah. that. Well, I think there's getting less and there's more talk yes. about just mental health, which is great. Which is fantastic. But you can go to therapy. You don't have to have a mental health diagnosis to go to therapy. Right. Like I see from time to time clients that are in just situational, like difficulties, um, you know, whether it's their kids just launched or um, they're a new mom and it's really hard to just figure out how to like balance life or their kids just started school. Um, You know, I'm trying to think of more kind of lesser kind of life difficulties that people would come to therapy. Um, Or they have like aging parents and it's hard. Um, Or they have a history of parent, you know, difficult relationships with their parents and it's manifesting now because they have young kids and there's lots of reasons to go. Or you're just stressed out and like (laughs) you're in a busy season and you're just stressed. Yeah. Um, Life. Just life, right? (laughs) Hashtag all the things, right? Life. life. Um, Yeah, I think everyone at some point should at least go. It's valuable, especially if you don't have close like platonic relationships. Um, If you don't have any close friendships, then yeah, you probably, it'd be good to seek somebody out to at least just talk. So what happens, so what happens in a therapy session? I know this is probably dependent on who you talk to, but like what could someone expect if they're like, oh, that sounds really good. I think that would be cool for me, but I'm scared and is it going to be awkward? (laughs) Yeah, well, I mean, I would say the feelings of being, like, scared are understandable, right? You're going to go talk to a stranger about your most personal, like, intimate thoughts and feelings, um, and that's a little scary. Like, I'm a therapist, and that would scare me, right? (laughs) Um, And it has. Like, I've sought out therapy, you know, before, too, and being on the other side, it was a little, like, unnerving initially. (laughs) Uh, So those feelings of being scared, like, are totally validated. I can't speak to how everyone does it, but... My first session is usually about making my clients feel comfortable wherever they are um, or whatever the reason is is that they're coming in. Um, I tell people, you don't have to open up the closet and spill everything in a first session if you're not comfortable. Some people like to rip the Band-Aid. Some people like to go about it a little bit more slowly. Um, But usually it's just, I mean, it's a conversation. I don't know. Like, I'm not trying to get into someone's brain and, like, change their thoughts and, like, you know, I don't, I'm not sitting here psychoanalyzing and, like, judging. And I'm thinking of all the things that people have at least expressed to me before mm-hmm. um, of what they thought it would be like. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I tell clients if they want to lay on my couch, they can. 
Um, just take your shoes off or put your shoes over the edge. I don't want shoes on the couch. But you can lay on the couch if you want, and that's totally fine. Um, it's very comfortable. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, I wish you could see your office because it's like super cute and comfortable. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I love it. But I mean, that's just how, that's my style. I'm a little bit more laid back. Um, I don't want to say that I'm not formal, uh, but you know, I really just want people to be comfortable. The best predictor for success in therapy is the relationship that you have with your therapist. Um, that client-therapist relationship, that rapport. If it is good, if it's solid, if you trust your therapist, then therapy will be successful. That's a good good tip. This is a little kind of different direction, but I know some of our listeners and pre-PA people have worked kind of in mental health settings, yeah. whether that's in like parts of the hospital or counseling or with like kids in different ways. Um, I think they're, what do they call them? behavior technicians or something but as someone who's worked in this field for a while now and you have probably heard and been part of some heavy stuff yeah and and I know personally when I was in PA school my psych rotation was the hardest for me yeah it was just I was on an inpatient ward like it was just a lot it was heavy what advice do you have for people to just not as a clinician to not take that home with them or not let it fall completely on them if possible that's tough I don't this might just be my personality um but I I don't want to say that I don't take things home with me because you can leave it at work. I can leave it at work there are things though um and especially once I became a parent yeah. anything that involved like small kids like abuse um or neglect Anything that involved, like, small kids, I started really having a hard time with, um, which was understandable. I was a new mom, and now all of a sudden I'm putting my kids into those situations, at least mentally. Um, So I had to just say, I can't do this. Not for me. Okay. Not not for me. So stepping away when it was too much. I just kind of had to step away when it was too much. I have a, I think, a decent amount of awareness to know, like, at least right now, like what I can handle, what I can't. But, you know, as a clinician, and maybe this is the same for PAs, like I had to, you know, learn very quickly. I can't save everybody. And it's actually not my job to save everybody. And, you know, even a step down from save, I can't help everybody. And not everyone's going to actually want your help. Everyone is going to want my help, right? I had to get out of this like hero mentality and I didn't have it as that is what I think some people may yeah. or do. Um, That's a lot of pressure to put on It yourself. is a lot of pressure. Yeah. It's a lot of pressure. So moving out of that and kind of more of an moving towards an acceptance place of I'm not going to save everybody. I'm not even going to help everybody. Um, and there might be some people I don't give my best to either. Yeah. You know, and that's, I say, okay, it's okay in the sense that you're human and it's going to happen. So walking away, if there are specific um, populations or situations or even traumas, you know, too, um, like if trauma is too big, like don't do it. Don't, don't, don't do it. Don't put yourself in that. You know, the other thing I would say too is, um, you know, go to therapy, talk about it. You can't, obviously you can't talk about um, and break confidentiality, but like, don't wait until you're frazzled and, you know, really stressed and then making, like, clinical errors, you know, that could be, 
you know, kind of costly to you in your career, like go talk about it like quickly. It's okay. Therapists see therapists. Like, (laughs) (laughs) you know what I mean? Like I saw this post the other day where it was like doctors see doctors. Yes. Right. And therapists can see therapists. Yeah. Like, or PAs, right. Or whoever. Clinicians though, we're the worst at taking care of ourselves. Oh yeah. Um, (laughs) but we've got to be better about that a little bit. Absolutely. You cannot serve your patients well if you are not well. You know, if I'm not great mentally, emotionally, like physically, I'm not going to be a good therapist. And that, in fact, would be doing my clients a disservice and would be unethical. Yeah, right? and that's so, the same for me as a PA, which is part of why I switched jobs, yep. you know? So, yeah, got to do what's best for us. Absolutely. <laughs> All right, well, where can everyone kind of find you and follow you? And Yeah, so I'm on Instagram, at Therapy by Ashley. Um, my husband and I also have a page, um, at the wealthy marriage. Okay. He's a financial planner and we are trying to launch into some new joint business ventures, which is exciting. I like it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so you can find me there on Instagram. I'm on Facebook, therapy by Ashley, my website, www.therapybyashley.com as well. Um, I'll link to all of that. Thank you. Perfect. Thank you. Uh-huh.